0: Good afternoon, Dennis Fithian on Detroit Sports, ready to get things underway. Pod number 16. Straight ahead, my top 20 or my top 15 NFL quarterbacks for 2020 rankings with opinions and explanations and a little Matt Stafford sound. But first, let's talk with a Yahoo senior NBA writer who has worked in the Windy City, but he's from Detroit and I just found out he's currently in Detroit. Vincent Goodwill joining me. Hey, Vincent, how you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I'm trying not to tell people I'm back home because I don't want anybody showing up at my door. <laughs> well,
0: yeah. well, yeah, you don't want anybody showing up at your door. Something that you wouldn't have said your entire life. But, uh, you know, now here we are in 2020.
1: Well, crazy times we're in, right? But uh, interesting times, I would say, on a, on a bunch of different levels, right?
0: Well, you know that... Today, just moving toward these next phases, and I can understand, like, if somebody said, yeah, I'm really excited, man, uh, I can't wait to get out there and try to do this, this, and this, and then I said, okay, yeah, I understand that. Eventually, you know, f- and, and, and now could be the time, but I understand the other side, too, if somebody's very apprehensive about getting out there and, and worried. And I think both sides, if we get a, you know, a, a setback, man, that's going to be just a, you know, a huge blow for people's psyche.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think uh, it's one of those things where you can you can see it. You can see things start to move in a, a different direction, and depending on how risk averse you are, like I, I, I think there's a line between risk averse and life averse. <laughs> and um, if 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 you're risk averse, this doesn't bother you as much, you know. If you're life averse and you're like, "Damn, like what are we doing here?" and all this other type of stuff, then you're going to take every possible precaution. I think the sports leagues are trying to operate in the world or at least get people of the mindset that this COVID-19 isn't going away, but as long as we put the safeguards in place, you know, for treatment and everything else, hopefully we'll be able to weather the storm in the meantime. My fear is that, you know, hopefully we don't put the dollar in entertainment above human life and hopefully there's no actual casualties that come from any uh, restarting or whatever, whatever the new structure of sport is going to be until there's a, a vaccine.
0: Well, there's no doubt about that, and my fear is is that you know we we get some some good weeks and, and kind of put them behind us, and people are are feeling like, uh, yeah, they're, they're measured when they're going out, but you know, they're trying to be responsible. We, we know how that's gonna, you know, go for some people, but then we, we get the ball rolling and, and maybe we get baseball and then NBA looks at it and says, Hey, this is what we're, we're planning on doing or whatever it, whatever it is. And then, and then we do have like some kind of, uh, whether it's a second wave or some rash of uh, outbreaks and then they have to shut it down for the summer. Cause I, I think people are like, uh, okay, you know, this, uh, everybody's getting a little, uh, you know, cabin fever. But if you, you get back out there and then you have to go back in and it's really summertime, man, that's going to be a big blow.
1: It's going to be a huge blow. Well, I think that's why people have to not to turn this into a PSA, but uh, we all have to, be, have to be very, very careful about how we uh, are still observing social distancing, making sure we're taking the proper precautions and everything else. I think the good thing in the beginning for us here was that the weather hadn't broken. And it was easier to stay indoors. Like, you don't necessarily feel the temptation to be out uh doing things that you normally do. But, you know, we're in the middle of May now. We're getting towards the end of May. Uh, and you're looking like, okay, this is going to be the summer now. And you're used to being out when it's June and everything else, whether it's, you know, with your windows down or just doing regular activities. And you have to resist that sort of temptation to do things that feel natural to you, especially if you feel like, that we flatten this curve, so to speak, because the new curve could be around the corner. All it takes is just, uh, just a little bit of neglect. So hopefully, Dennis, um, as long as we do things we're supposed to do, and we still take the proper precautions, we can come out of this on the other side, okay?
0: Well, you know, you, you say all that, and you know, I, I can put myself in in one situation where. Let's say I had a small business and uh, you know I was chomping at the bit to get out there. I'd you know, probably post, in, we need to open up, we need to get back, you know, and I can understand that. I have somebody in my household that has an underlying condition, so we're in that high risk situation, and I just know by going out myself, I've taken the approach where I just need to protect myself. I can't count on other people because I just know, it, it seems to me like 70, 80% of the people, even if they have good intentions, they're not following the the six foot rule. And I think, you know, so we can say it as much and we can talk about, you know, staying away and, and sometimes you just, you know, you don't mean to, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things like that, but I just know if you're in a, in the, the high risk category, I mean, you really have to do everything to just to protect yourself, whether it's staying home or making sure you're wearing a mask everywhere or whatever else. But uh, yeah, we're, we're ready for it. I know everybody's uh, knows it's coming here, at least, you know, trying to take this next step to see what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I, I think you, you made the important point uh, about just making sure not just you're protecting yourself, but you're protecting uh, your neighbor. I think uh, one of the big problems that I've had was like the, the messaging of this to begin with was that, you know, well, if it only affects people of a certain age or if you got, uh, if you got pre-existing health conditions, that type of thing. Like it, it, it basically saying that it attacks the vulnerable. So if you're healthy, you'll be okay. And you don't have to worry about it as opposed to saying, hey, Everybody, anybody could be a carrier, for this. And if you're a carrier, you could pass it on to somebody who's vulnerable or someone who's not as vulnerable who can become vulnerable. So I think this will be a, not only will this be a, a sort of like a, a mark of demarcation in our history, uh, but it will also be something that, you know, we learn from, hopefully not the next time something like this happens, but we'll be very careful with our coding and our messaging and our rhetoric uh, surrounding who's vulnerable and who
0: isn't. Yeah, I'm sure you saw what uh, Blake Snell, the the Tampa Rays pitcher, had to say, and uh, a lot of it was about, you know, I want to get my money. But the other part about that was, like, he was talking about uh, the possibility of a long-term effect, and you know I think I haven't heard any basketball players say anything like, uh, yeah, I'm just not looking forward to coming back. Actually, it's been the opposite if, you know, they feel like, you know, they're the proper safety measures uh, in place or what the best thing is, but... I wonder how all of these leagues are going to approach it like, you know, to me, if um, whatever amount of money you're making, if you really feel like, uh, you know what, I just don't want to go out there this year, and yeah, I I won't have my contract, but I'll I'll just pick it up where I was next year if I could do that. Uh, That, to me, is a very interesting part here from each athlete, and then the collective bargaining agreement and all of that, whether they're going to be allowed to you know, take that precaution if they want to forfeit their money from that year, but then pick it up next year. I don't know.
1: Well, I, I think the thing is, it's so unprecedented. It's hard to tell someone uh, they, aren't, they, don't, they can't feel the way they feel. Like if a, if a player is an NBA player who's been paid, you know, 75 to 80% of his contract to this point says, I'm not sure exactly how I feel about going out there. Like there's varying degrees, you know, risk. Just because you're an athlete doesn't mean that you don't have a pre-existing health condition that could make you a little bit more uh, vulnerable. Just, you know, you're an athlete doesn't mean you're invincible. So, you know, people can have very valid reasons uh, if they don't feel safe. Like most guys I've, I've talked to or heard from have basically said, hey, I'm good with coming back as long as you can ensure our safety, not just. You know, say there's a low risk of something happening, but you can ensure my safety. And I'm not sure if there's any NBA team, you know, with the uh, even though we're getting more and more information about this, but I don't think there's any NBA team, any any entity uh, out here that can ensure someone's health because we're learning new things about this every single day, and we haven't gotten ahead of it yet. Like if we gotten ahead of it, I think you you would see a, a lot more confidence, but. It's just almost like we're catching up to it. So you can't make promises to anybody yet, and you can't get ahead of it until you have a vaccine. So until then, we're all good.
0: Yeah, like uh, it seems like the NBA is just taking an observer role here and that like everything would still be on the table, even coming back and playing the regular season. Although, I mean, that seems unlikely to me, but it still seems like that part is out there, and maybe that's because of the TV deals and everything else. But, you know, I, I want basketball really. I, I want the playoffs and, you know, around here in Detroit, we want the lottery, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, so we're, we're going to have to get to all that, uh, Vinny. So let's dive into it. Of course I want to get some things in there on the last dance as well. So if I, if I started with the, the draft, the Pistons could end up in the, in the top five here, but there's no Zion. Maybe there's a, a John Morant. What are you hearing about, that number one pick, is there. it doesn't seem like there's a consensus. Anthony Edwards, Lamello, Killian Hayes, I've seen his name, uh, even Obi Toppin. Is there one guy that you feel like uh, will end up being a consensus there?
1: No, and I think part of that is the limited information that uh, we have on these guys. I think the draft class itself isn't particularly strong. And even in the draft classes that aren't strong, you always find a couple guys that winds up you know, turning into an all-star Hall of Famer or something like that. But you you normally don't know it at this point, usually the draft and the combine, or not the draft, the combine and some of the workouts. And even March Madness kind of, you know, introduces players. You know, most of the guys, you know, that I've heard of, like none of this stuff has changed. Like the scouts, uh, the BPs, they've been doing nothing but, sitting around watching tape, but it's been the same tape that they've been watching for the past three <laughs> to four months. Like nothing new has come. You. Not, it's not like you can have contact with, you know, any of these guys. You can't get in front of them in any way. So it can go one of two ways. It can, it can reveal that sometimes these guys are over, over-evaluated and over-scrutinized, you know, depending on when the draft is, how much access you got, you have to them. Or you can say, okay, you guys, nobody did their homework because nobody was allowed to do their homework. And unfortunately, Dennis, especially if you're a team like Detroit in that, that five spot, you know, it, you know, fifth fifth best chances, I believe, of, of getting a number one pick. If you're in a fifth spot in a, a, a draft that's not particularly loaded, I don't know the chances of you being able to grab an impact player as opposed to getting a guy who could have gone number one. You name like five guys. Like, so basically there could be are you grabbing the fifth guy who could have been number one in a draft that's not particularly strong? Like, How happy will you be with getting that type of player with all the pain that you've had to deal with over the past couple of years?
0: Yeah, the projections uh, really have been tough over the last few years. But but this year, and a lot of these guys, uh, Edwards wasn't going to play in the tournament. Lamelo uh, didn't play college ball, and Killian Hayes is from France. Obi Toppin would have been the one. If there would have been March Madness, maybe he could have increased his stock. But to your point, like if you're bringing – you get to see James Wiseman and he's coming in and working out for you and you see uh, that he's been able to extend his range. I mean, his shot looks pretty good, but he didn't shoot it much there at Memphis or in high school because he was just so dominant against everybody. And, you know, I could see him being the best player, but I really have to see – I'd like to see that range, you know, from him. And that would be one of those workout things.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the, the thing is, especially – you know, for something like, like uh, Wiseman, the kid from uh, Memphis. We didn't see any of them really. He played played a couple games ineligible, and then, you know, you were thinking on the back end of this, okay, teams are going to see him. They're going to, you know, be able to get in front of him and everything else. Like, everything's just a big unknown. So even, you got to think about, like, this, too, as well. We don't know what the game is going to look like strategically. Like, it, like I try to tell people all the time, the game has moved so much faster in terms of the difference and variance of how teams play from year to year it's moved so much faster than it, than in any other like compressed time period, you know, in NBA history where, you know, it, it's no longer the bump and grind and everything else, but you know, how far will this extreme, you know, pace and space go? Will it be some market correction? Cause if you want to try to get in front of, you know, the way that the, the game is being played now, as opposed to where it's going, then you're going to wind up with an outdated product and you won't be able to maximize. Remember when the Pistons went big and they had Andre Drummond, Greg Monroe, Josh Smith? Before, you could win with big guys. You could win with versatile big guys who could rebound, who could function completely differently, but the game was changing. That was the year the Golden State was basically completely shifting the paradigm of what we thought uh, winning basketball looked like. And that was the year the Pistons went in on going all big. Even had it worked, it was going to have, you know, a different type of shelf life where you were going to have to break it up. So, you know, with the draft, when you talk about four-year contracts and getting guys under, you know, uh, umbrella deals where, you know, you're not paying them a huge chunk of your salary cap, you have to get your draft picks right, at least in trying to figure out where the game is going as opposed to the game that you're actually playing.
0: Well, don't tell the Cavs. They're still zigging while everybody else is zagging <laughs> and playing uh, 25 feet space and uh, pace and space like you called it. And all right, so I waited this long to get to the last dance. The 10 episodes uh, are in. And, you know, fabulous, special. How did the whole thing land for you? You're a Detroit native, a guy who worked in Chicago. You cover the game. So how did it land for you?
1: I, I could see it through everybody's lens. I could see it from a Chicagoan's lens who – uh, worships and adores Michael Jordan. That team, uh, and, and clearly, even though I have Detroit roots, I believe Michael Jordan is the greatest player I've ever seen, both from a numerical perspective, but just as far as someone who played the game. You know, I, I do think that he's one of the pettiest human beings alive <laughs> as well. Um, as far as some of his, you know, it felt like an airing of grievances. It, it looked like Festivus. It looked like a ten-part, you know, Festivus for Michael Jordan. Anybody who's ever wronged him um that was that was his airing but you know aside from michael jordan not giving anybody any credit i didn't like the fact that he didn't get the bad boys any credit i didn't like the fact that everything revolving around that period was well you know they physically beat us up not that they were a better team than us like i I didn't like that rhetoric but everything aside from that and aside from every, you know from all the petty grievances you know, I felt like it was a, a Michael Jordan ESPN NBA promotion about Michael Jordan being the greatest player we've ever seen and him being something completely different of that time, and he will be still be something completely different of this time.
0: Yeah, and, you know, for me, you're, you're right about the, the Pistons angle, but you know what? It was always like that. I mean, you kind of had to ride with the Pistons, and you knew that people outside Detroit did not like them. You knew that David Stern was putting in rules – to uh, benefit the Bulls and other teams and and take away from what the Pistons were doing. We knew that then. And, and, and we know it now, but you know what, Vinny, uh, I'm, you know, 10, 11 years old when Isaiah and Jordan, you know, went at Indiana and UNC and, you know, in high school when the rivalry starts getting going with, you know, magic and the Lakers and the bird uh, Celtics and bird in there. And if you asked me in the eighties, what I cared about in life, it would have been, you know, I should, I should have said like school, family, you know, God, those would have been really nice answers, but really (laughs) it was basketball. It was, you know, basketball girls, my friends and in cards. And I've always, even though I love the Pistons, man, I've always been here and been there for the Jordan content, man. I just can't get enough, you know, I I, I really can't. And so it's, uh, you know, watching him and it's the one part, if, you know, you're saying like, you know, something that, I know you didn't say, you know, ticks you off, but for me, and, you know, I love Detroit basketball fans, but the ones that say, no, I didn't watch this because I can't stand Jordan, and I, I didn't watch him back then, it's like, man, you were missing out on the phenomenon of all phenomenons. This guy, man, you know, the the game was so different and the way he played it, and it, it was just such a show every time that I'm always like, man, you guys, whenever I hear that, and I appreciate, you know, people's fandom and everything, but I just think, you know, they, they missed out on something that was just such... A big deal of being able to watch him, even from you know, even from a Detroit guy that always wanted to beat him.
1: No, I I agree. Like I was never a Michael Jordan fan growing up. Like what's on the first three, Pete, I wasn't rooting for him. To the start of the second three, Pete, I wasn't rooting for him. The only thing that made me root for Michael Jordan was two things: my hatred for Carl Malone, <laughs> and <laughs> and and during the '98 run, just my dad telling me, look. This is, I know, I know you're, you're, you know, we have our roots and everything else, but this is the guy. Like, this is the one thing that we're going to see in our lifetimes that is special, that is built like this. And those two last two years as a bull, I started looking at them from a completely, you know, different lens. Whenever a highlight or a low light of, of the Pistons and Bulls come out, it would immediately flash to hatred. But anything else, I could say, you know what, this is the greatest player. You know, I will ever see. Or, or let me let me clear this up for people who are uninitiated. Dennis Vivian, the Pistons Bulls highlights of the late '80s and early '90s were the ones that would get me incensed. Michael Jordan against the teal Pistons didn't do much for against me. I didn't I didn't I didn't lose my mind over that. So everybody who says I'm you know a uh, piston homer, it, it's funny on Twitter, Dennis. You know, people will will tell me if I'm sticking up for Isaiah's place in history, which I, which I want, which i want to do. They'll say you're a Detroit guy, you're biased, and then the Detroit people will be like, "When he covered our team, he didn't like us either. He's just an equal opportunity person. Where you know he he's not that he's a hater, but he's he's not championing anybody. He's championing his opinion. So you know, even looking at even looking at this piece of work, Dennis has been it's been an extraordinary look back. And I also, I also, I also love making fun of Scottie Pippen at every single opportunity.
0: Yeah. You know, the, the mind grain really came at a bad time for Scottie there. One thing we do. And one thing that all Detroit sports fans can agree on is I'd never met one that really liked Scottie Pippen, but you know what, (laughs) you're, you're a veteran in the business now. And uh, I knew you when you were just getting started. So it's fun to follow your success. And, and, uh, and the one thing that I, I saw even back in the day, man, just uh, as a passion, but, you know, you, you watch the games, man. Like, you're into it. Like, this is not – and you haven't lost that. Sometimes you get in, you, you start hanging out with the, uh, the older, you know, members of the media, mm-hmm. and you get a little bit like, oh, man, we got to cover this, or this is a grind. And you still seem like you have a fresh, like, man, I love this. I love what I'm doing. Uh, approach to it, which, uh, you know, I hope you never lose.
1: No, this is this is still fun for me. I mean, I, I think when you grow up how we grew up, you know, you, you just love what you do. Like I was always told to uh, uh, blend my passion with my talent, and that turned me into a sports journalist. So if nothing else, it's like if I wasn't at a game, if I wasn't covering, you know, right now we'd be covering the Eastern Conference Finals right now. If that weren't going on, if I wasn't covering it, I'd be at a friend's house, or a friend would be at my house. We'd be watching the game, talking about it, and dissecting it. Right now, I just happen to be. You know, this were normal circumstances, then I would be in a press room or you know in an arena, talking about it with other journalists. Still texting my friends <laughs> throughout yeah. the course of the game. So no, I, I love I love what I do. I'm not an old grizzled uh, journalist just yet. <laughs> I still I still got my hair. I think I think having your hair keeps keeps your youth there because whenever you whenever you go bald just notice that it's always the bald sports writers who get angry and go old man yelling at clouds so the day you see me losing my hair beware i might turn the old man yelling at clouds
0: yeah well you know that that could be a sign i i i could see that you know the you know the, the one thing did you see the the lebron i guess it was sunday night instagram live where he had the red wine and I'm guessing he concluded watching the you know the last dance, and then for forty five minutes just you know just let kind of just talk top of mind
1: i didn't I didn't see that, but I've heard of uh
0: yeah, you know the one part he said that you know he you know he would have he during the lockout of what twenty eleven i think it was is that he was uh you know practicing a little football, so it does make you think when you see Jordan and the baseball. Uh, for the for the year that he did that, and with the White Sox mm-hmm. and everything else, mm-hmm. that just what LeBron would have been like at you know six eight, uh, a, a, gr- a more athletic Gronk is like uh, what <laughs> it would look like to me. Which would have been, you know, he would have been an amazing football player. There's no doubt about that. But he picked the right sport. I man, you think about you know uh, how how short your career can be in football, getting chopped down. But man, he would have been a great football player, no doubt.
1: No, he he would have. I think uh, being six nine and being Having that, you know what that makes you have? A big strike zone. that will <laughs> a lot of area for a lot of guys to hit. So, I definitely, and LeBron don't like getting fouled. So, I can't imagine him getting tackled or getting, you know, rammed into uh, on a crossing pattern or something like that. So, I think LeBron picked the right sport.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he's, uh, you know, you, he's just so, he's so built, too. See him in, get him down in the red zone and, and the ability to jump, make all those things, man. Uh, he would have been, no doubt, amazing. And we know that he liked Jordan because he, he, he wore 23 coming out, and, and mm-hmm. you know, he, he also went to Nike. I think that was a big uh, reason, too, because of Jordan. And that's the other thing about Jordan, man. I, I feel like I was in early, man. You could, if you were in my closet in the 80s, even though I was a Piston fan, I, I still had flight things and then all the way through. So <laughs> to see it now, I'm, I mean, I, I still have the, the Jordan stuff all the way. And I know you do, too.
1: Traitor. <laughs> trader, I, I had a trader. That was that was that was not. Don't get me wrong. I have turned into a fan of the brand, but growing up, uh, I think I had one pair of Jordans from the time I was maybe four years old until I was able to buy my own, and that was by choice because I was not going to go against Zeke and Joe and all of those guys. You know, when when my childhood allegiances were being formed, now, I wear Nikes but I was not wearing Jordan.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what I said, the eighties, I'd probably have to correct that because in the eighties, they were still going toe to toe. I I doubt it. maybe early nineties though. You could have found something when, (laughs) you know, when they broke it up and it was over and Isaiah was done, you know, it was, it was on to the, you know, the, the next phase there. Right. Well, uh, you know, if we do get some basketball back, we'll see you around. And uh, we don't know, we don't know what, like I was just looking at the latest here today. We, the, everything's still on the table here for the NBA and I think they're watching to see what happens with baseball. They're watching what happened in NASCAR. They're watching what happened in the UFC and, you know, they're they're taking stock and, and, and seeing what happens and formulating their plans. I'm sure they got, you know, hundreds of, uh, of different contingency plans right here from, you know, putting everybody in a bumble to having a rest of the regular season to having a, you know, just postseason. So it's all still out there, right?
1: Absolutely. No, there's, uh, you've heard things about the Orlando model being thrown around the Disney model or rather the Las Vegas model. Like they have all these different, um, all these different possibilities. And the one thing nobody wants to be left holding the bag where there's not a location for you to do your thing. So not that it's a rush, um, to be first or anything like that, but you really don't want to be last, uh, even in a matter of being prudent and being safe, you don't want to be stuck without a location or have to scramble because there's only so much real estate that can take on you know the nba or major league baseball if you're going to put things in remote locations as opposed to you know the traditional way which which things will have to be right now so it's kind of like not necessarily a race against the clock but you definitely have to collaborate with uh your your other sports almost to make sure that you know, everybody isn't stepping on each other's toes and everything else. So it's it's certainly an interesting time. And I do expect, uh, you know, we're in the, toward, getting towards the end of May. I wouldn't be surprised if we start figuring out game plans by the first week of June.
0: Mm. All right, final question for you. You know, we've had a month, two months here to, to do all kinds of different things. We know no sports. You know, for me, I I went back and watched the – the 04 sweep over the Lakers last week. Uh, I was watching, you know, Michigan Miami 88. I watched the Ridgie Bush push game against Notre Dame. I think that was 2005. So I like that. I've been reading a little bit. Uh, I get some shots up, but it's out on this old creaky rim on a on a <laughs> dirt road here out by my house. What about Vincent Goodwell? What have you been doing here uh, during the pandemic?
1: Well, considering uh, I actually live, I have residence in, uh, in in the New York area, and coming back home in Detroit just to get out of there, uh, just been back uh, with family with my parents and everything else. So it's been an interesting time. I've been reading a lot. I've been reading a book on uh, the history of Motown records. Right now, I read uh, uh, a book on the history of the Golden State Warriors uh, by my friend Ethan Strauss. Uh, a couple weeks ago so it's it's been reading things that've been keeping my attention uh, I've been trying to sort of feed my mind a little bit uh, I'm I'm also, I'm always a dude that Dennis, I'm always watching old games anyway like I'll watch old games during a during a real game <laughs> that's not anything that's not anything new for me I'm always in the time machine so it's been a little more time spent there but you know it's just been it, it's been an interesting time honestly for you know the past two or three months and it's, you look up and it's Whoa, we're almost at June. Whoa, we're almost at summer. And, and soon enough, we'll be looking up and hopefully things will be moving in a safe direction. But, you know, summer will be over before we barely get to it barely gets
0: here. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Well, hopefully, we'll have something to so hopefully we can get there. Uh, and, and, and hopefully, we don't have that setback. Reading. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> give that a shot. Hey, uh, big fan continued success and uh we hope to see uh I don't know we'll see your work I don't know if we're going to see you in the arena but I hope to see your work this uh, spring or summer.
1: Hey, I appreciate it Dennis. Thanks again, Matt. Thanks again for yeah, having.
0: Thanks for coming on. See you. There he is. Vincent Goodwill joining us here Yahoo Sports. There's a guy that I don't think it was the first time I met him, but you know, early on he was um working at the Detroit News. Together and watch some Lions games on a Sunday. I remember watching, should have asked him. remember watching, I think it was the, I don't know what open air it was, maybe Matt Ryan's rookie year. They had Michael Turner. So was that 2008? Was he a year before Stafford or a year after Stafford? So maybe 2010, right around there. But it was the opener that the Lions were, were taking on the Falcons. And uh, I can remember. That week, Mike Valente, he made a good point. He said, look, the Lions, if they're ever going to win this game, I mean, this is it, rookie quarterback, come on, man. I think he guaranteed a win, and, you know, it, it sounded right to me. And then, you know, the Lions, they got killed in that game. I think it was first play, first play, went for 80 yards or something, something like that. I mean, it was it was something like that. So a lot of the, the Lions seasons can run together like that, but it definitely was an opener. It was definitely against the Falcons, and everybody thought that the Lions were going to win the game, and then they didn't. Actually, very reminiscent of not last year against the Cardinals, a game that I thought they were going to win, but so two years ago, it was the opener against the Jets. Remember, rookie rookie quarterback, excuse me, rookie quarterback and Sam Darnold, and the Lions are at home, and it's it's Monday night football, and it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, they'll win this one, but then, and, you know, then it's going to get tough. And then they, you know, we don't need to go over that part. It was, it was one of the worst games ever in a lot of, in a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of games that are, are, are up for worst game ever when it comes to the Lions. That definitely was one of them. I said at the beginning I had my NFL quarterback rankings for 2020, and I, I put this in front of me. This is an exercise. I like doing this exercise. I don't know what good comes out of it. Once you start ranking them, you know, you, you, you're – I doubt anybody that listens is going to be like, oh, yeah, it's just got it. It's got it nailed. Everybody's somewhere in there is like – and you, you take some, you know, whether – it's not really risks, but, you know, it's just your own opinion. And then – but the one thing I can – I can just recall, because I've done this for a few years before the season, you know, ranking the QBs. And sometimes I revise it through the summers. Things happen even up to uh, I'll have a final a, a final ranking, you know, heading into to the season. Sometimes you watch things during the preseason, and, you know, that can change. But the one thing for the last couple of years is that I have had Kirk Cousins and Matt Stafford right next to each other. I just have not been able to get those guys away from each other in the rankings. And then this year I did it. I separated them by one, and we'll hear a little bit. Uh, I, I pulled some some Stafford audio, the best, and he he talked this week to the reporters. I listened to it, and I, I thought the the best comedy he had. I listened to a little. We'll listen to a little bit of it here, and I'll comment in on it. But I'll, but without further ado, let's get to those uh, NFL quarterback rankings for 2020. And uh, at number one, I did put Patrick Mahomes here. I think everybody out there, if you're doing a a quarterback ranking heading into the 2020 season, well, what do you do? You say, all right, what happened last year? What kind of team does the the player have this year, you know, heading in? I mean, that's how I look at it. I, I think that's what you do if you're talking about the rankings in 2020. Mahomes winning the Super Bowl. Uh, fabulous talent. Uh, Got to have him at number one. You probably shouldn't. If you're doing a list and you put somebody else in there, then uh, then we got something to talk about. At number two, uh, I went with uh, the MVP from last year, Lamar Jackson. Now they were fabulous. They won 14 games, and nobody could stop Lamar and the running game. And then they got to the playoffs, and then they were stopped. And the the thing was, is how do you stop this Ravens team? Well, you get the lead on them. That's going to be the biggest thing, get the lead on them. And that's what happened. And there is that part about uh, Lamar after he was just so unstoppable last year, uh, met his kryptonite in the postseason. But I got him, considering the team that they have coming back, they're bringing everybody back on offense except uh, Marshall Yanda, a awesome guard, but they also went out there and got J.K. Dobbins in the draft. They're loaded offensively. That's only going to help Lamar. I've got Lamar Jackson at number two. Deshaun Watson at three. You know, the, the play that he made against the Bills where, I don't remember who the linebacker, who the player was for Buffalo that went in and had him dead to rights and actually had him wrapped up in the fourth quarter in that playoff game, but seeing Deshaun Watson shed that particular defender and it would be sack and then make the play. it's one of the, the great plays in, in NFL. Oh, that is a great play. It, it is one of the great plays in my mind, in NFL history. Oh, it ended up winning a playoff game for him. He's a great player. Will it be talked about as one of the great players of all uh, great plays of all time. Maybe, maybe if Deshaun Watson goes on and, and wins some Super Bowls and is considered one of the greatest players of all time, you'll go back and say, you know what, that 2019 playoffs, uh, you know, it, it was like some of the stuff that you saw from him at Clemson, but that particular play, uh, I'm bullish on Watson. That's why I've got him three. I've got Russell Wilson at four, and it almost feels like it's too low here. Uh, playmaker everything you want. I mean, I'll I'll take Russell Wilson all day long, and like I said, four almost seems too low for him. At five, got Drew Brees. Now, I know he's going to be 41, and he... uh, The Saints, I had them win in the Super Bowl last year, and man, they they were in a a great position. There they were at home, and they just couldn't get it done against the Vikings, and you know, that can happen. Ended up coming down to a controversial play there at the end. Push-off, no push-off, anything else, but... I still think Drew Brees, which what you're looking at with that offense there, and you know they they still have Michael Thomas, and they um, they they added offensively, Manuel Sanders coming over. I think that's going to help them. Camara, they get a, a nice situation again with how they had Bridgewater last year. I thought that helped. Bridgewater was great when he came in. And if Breeze goes down for an extended time, do I think that Jameis Winston could come in and and pull a Teddy Bridgewater? I certainly do. Uh, But uh, that's just talking about the Saints. I'm talking about uh, Drew Breeze. I will still, based on where that team was last year, the kind of team he has around him, and what they have coming back, I'll put Drew Breeze at number five on this list. At six, I'm going to put old Aaron Rodgers there. Aaron Rodgers... They did not help Aaron Rodgers out this year in the first round. Everybody knows that with the drafting of Jordan Love. And they are going more to what they saw out in San Francisco. Matt LaFleur, a Kyle Shanahan guy, his his younger brother working out there for Shanahan and everything else. But you know what? Aaron Rodgers does not have the playmakers. I think that is true. But... Uh, this is still a guy here. I'm, I'm not putting him too far down the list. I think he's going to play with a chip on his shoulder and I will put him at number six on this list. This is the toughest one. When I get to seven, I put Tom Brady 43 years old and the arm, the team now. And it's uh, one of these things where, you know, could Tom Brady come out he's going to have an incredible amount of hype playing down there for the box. And, can you overhype the greatest player of all time? Yes. Yes, you can because he's the greatest player of all time and he's not the Tom Brady of, you know, when he was 35 years old. But he wasn't all that bad when you watch him throwing the football last year. And he definitely has those skilled players around him. So considering where he's at, what he's going to want to prove here for his legacy, which you know the the last bit about that is about Belichick or Brady goes out there and and has a double digit win season and gets into the playoffs and meanwhile you know Bill Belichick's team's just going eight and eight whether you 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 play into the the rivalry or or who ultimately is better between those two it's going to happen this year. I know Tom Brady knows that, and I know you know that. But I put Tom Brady there at 43, and it was a tough one. At number eight, I put Ryan Tannehill. No player from about uh, a quarter of the season, half the season last year, was putting up better numbers than Ryan Tannehill. He still has everything around him. And the emergence of A.J. Brown there. I like what they have going on in Tennessee, and I like Tannehill, and that's where I put him at number eight. At number nine, and, and this is where, you know, I started thinking about Matt Stafford. Just for the record, uh, I've, I've had him in the top ten before, but I'm not going to put Matt Stafford in front of Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins went out there last year, made the big play for his team in the playoffs, got a playoff win. His numbers, and I know Stafford got hurt, but his numbers were better. And he won a playoff game, so I don't think you can unless you're saying, "Well, I just think he's going to be better." Okay, well, I guess so I guess you could <laughs> with that reasoning. But that's my reasoning why I put Cousins in front of Matt Stafford. I also put Dak Prescott. Now, Dak Prescott, he is—he's uh, been in the playoffs. He's—he's he's led the Cowboys there. Do I think he's? Do I think he's a better talent? Better passer than Matt Stafford. Oh, but when I just look at the ingredients and what kind of player Dak Prescott is, and now here they are adding Lamb to the wide receiving core. They still have Zeke and, you know, that particular offense. When I take a look at it there, uh, I'm going to put Dak. I think, you know, Dak's going to have a big year, and I put him at 10. So I put Matt Stafford at 11. Matt Stafford, 32 years old, in his 12th year. If everything can go well with, uh, you know, DeAndre Swift, they find a right guard there. The defense comes around. Matt Patricia figures it out on that side of the ball, and uh, I, I do think I'm picking the Lions. I'm gonna make it sound like I'm, you know, uh, of sky high on the Lions. I think they're going nine and seven, which I know people will listen to that and say you do sound like you're sky high on the Lions, but a nine and seven at Stafford at eleven, I think is where. Uh, he should be ranked. That's where I ranked him at twelve. I put Jimmy G. Jimmy G. Who's just uh, directing the show out there. But when you look at San Francisco, yeah, are they a run-first team? No doubt. Well, Jimmy G. Went out there and in, in Garoppolo's record, you know, the previous year when he came in, what was he six and zero at the tail end? Uh, though I guess that was three years ago. And then last year he got, or the season before he got hurt. Last year, pretty good. Uh, game manager there, but in a, getting all the way to the Super Bowl and the, the team that he has around him is going to help him as much as anything else. I got Jimmy G at 12, Matt Ryan at 13, Carson Wentz 14. He's got a down arrow by him because of the injuries. Fabulous talent, a guy that uh, I thought could and would stay in the top 10, had a chance to get into uh, the elite category. Uh, he has played that way at times the year they won the Super Bowl. He was on the way, his way, to winning the MVP. Maybe winning the Super Bowl. He didn't do that. It was Foles that did it, but uh, that's why he drops down to 14. And at 15, it came down to a bunch of guys. Big Ben just shaved his beard, criticized by Pennsylvania governor, Jared Goff, Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Teddy Bridgewater. You know, I just somebody else am I going to put in there, Josh Allen or Kyler Murray? These are tough, or the, or, or nah, you know what? Just uh, Baker Mayfield, the kind of offense that he has around. Him. So it, it came down to me just thinking about last year. Baker Mayfield did not play well. Teddy Bridgewater did in his limited experience, but their limited action that he had with the Saints, and now he's in Carolina and he's got Matt Rule. And would I take Teddy Bridgewater or? Baker Mayfield at 15, and I went with Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater, what he was able to do, just perfect almost with New Orleans. He doesn't have that same kind of team with him at Carolina, but he does have Christian McCaffrey. I I think they have some underrated wide receivers there when you look at uh, the Carolina Panthers, and I just think that offense there, I'll go with Teddy Bridgewater. At 15, that's how I saw, and that's how I see, at least my first NFL quarterback rankings of 2020. I want to hear a little bit from, uh, I want to play a little bit of Matt Stafford, the Lions quarterback. He was on a Zoom this week with uh, some members of the media, this audio courtesy of DetroitLions.com. And he was asked about the health of his back, and he said it feels good and then he was asked again about the status of his back, and he was asked if he understood that people are just going to have to see it to believe it when it comes down to his back.
2: As far as the way I feel about my body, I feel great. Um, I'm not worried about uh, going out there and playing. If we could put the pads on today and go play, I would do it. Um, I understand what you were saying about uh, you know other people needing to see that. Um, I think my teammates know. Um, the guys that have been with me, see me throw it around uh I'm I'm as good as I've been you know the last couple of years uh physically and and feel fine um but with anything every time we go play football there's a risk um especially when you put your pads on and, and go hit so um but I'm excited I'm hoping that uh you know everything goes as safe and as smooth as it can this offseason and, and um you know we're we're allowed back in at some point as long as that's safe I mean that's it's a tough situation. Everybody knows um, to make the call on, on uh, you know, when and where and how we do this thing. But uh, I'm hoping we get to to uh, to get it going because I put a lot of work in to be where I am. And, and um, I know other guys on our team are doing the same.
0: So, you know, the one thing about Stafford here and, you know, you, you take his word for it on his back and I just go back to last year, I took his. I, I didn't take his word for it as much because as the preseason was playing out, it felt like the Lions were protecting him, and I didn't like how they played it the previous year, knowing that he had uh, an injured back. And then on top of that, the Lions were actually eliminated from the playoffs, and they were still allowing him to go out there. And play, which said a lot about the coach, about the general manager, and the owner. To me, it was very frustrating, very frustrating for Lion fans to you know, have your quarterback going out there and putting him in that position. And then, you know, last year they took that away from him finally, and didn't allow him to go back there and play. Nobody questions the guy's toughness. He'll he would play with a broken back. And, and he would do that again. Do so, you know the one part, you know, about last year? And, and I knew that his back was okay. And it happened in the first two games. The first game was against Arizona. The second game was against the, the L.A. Chargers. And if you go back and watch that, the game, Chandler Jones, the defensive end for Arizona, comes free. And he puts his helmet in and Stafford's upper back drives him to the ground. I mean, it is just a pulverizing hit by Jones. And when I saw that, I thought, if Matt Stafford, that's a that's a re-aggravation or that's going to test that back out. And he popped right back up, and he took that hit. And I said, after that that it wasn't about his back. I knew his back was good when he was able to absorb a hit like that from Chandler Jones. Take it to week two. If you remember in that game in the second half, here's Stafford trying to get out of bounds, but Nick Bosa, the top pick there, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. confuse him. Joey Bosa chasing him down towards the sideline, and again, Stafford didn't make it, and he just plants him completely. It's like hitting him with a two-by-four in the back, and Stafford was able to survive that uh, hit as well. And, you know, that's when I saw that. I was feeling like that the back was okay. Now, were those things, were those hits adding up to one then in the second half against the Raiders? He took the shot. That ultimately put him out for the season. I don't know. Let's hear a little bit more from Detroit lions and that Stafford zoom call with reporters. And let's see what some There's of the some other Dave questions Burkett. were. Uh, Dave Briquette, I listened to this one. Dave wasn't there. So they went on to the next question. Looks like Dave might be having some issues. Uh, Mike stone. Oh, Mike stone. Yeah. How you doing, Matthew? Uh, two, two things. Um, did they ever tell you, like, before the draft, don't worry about all the idiots on talk radio that would say they should draft Tua. We're not drafting Tua. Just to even sit and you're, you're fine and all that. And the other question I have is guys like Slay and Snacks left. And Slay had some things said about Patricia. But he did admit that Matt Patricia was much better
1: involved in the team in 2019 than he was in 2018 did you see a
0: difference in him from year one, year two, the way he involved with you? And has he learned a little bit to become a better coach in the locker room?
2: Um, as far as the uh, draft stuff, um, I'm always in contact, uh, probably annoyingly. So with some of those guys, I'm just as big a fan of college football guys as, as you guys are. So I'm just trying to get takes on who does what well. And and uh, and that's at every position. Um, but as far as the the quarterback stuff, uh, I'll keep all those comments and, and those conversations that I have with those guys private, but uh, it's nothing to, to really read into, to be honest with you. Um, and-
0: well, well, I'm going to jump in midway through what Stafford had to say there. I think now that we know how the draft played out, and I gave the Lions a, a B, and Bob Quinn a B with what he did in the draft. I thought he, he did a good job. Hey, you draft up really high uh, at, at three almost every round there, how it's working you you're going to have good players, you know, fall to you and he took good players and I like what he did. But I do think looking back at it, considering the the quarterbacks that were available talking about the backups from from Winston to to Andy Dalton to then looking at, you know, what the Lions paid Chase Daniel they didn't need to pay Chase Daniel. If they could have just sat back and, and this is what, this is how it should have been played. Just looking back at how things should have been played over the last few months, I guess we'll say the last year for the Lions. Martha Ford, when she put out her letter to season ticket holders, shouldn't have said anything about that they need to be in playoff contention this year. When you do that, you're putting your, your, head coach and GM on blast and everybody's going to be talking about that. And your job status is up in the air. There's just no need to do that. Uh, Hopefully they learn from that particular situation and don't make any edicts like that. Again, even though they did try to parse their words or or did try to uh, soften it up a little bit by not saying they have to be in the playoffs, just playoff contention, whatever that don't do that. That was good for talk radio, but, don't do that in the future, Martha, Rod, Sheila. That wasn't that wasn't um, smart. The other part is that when you have that number three overall pick, you want to create as much leverage as you can. I would have told Matt Stafford when the Lions played their final game of 2019, I would have gone to him, I would have called him, and I would have said, Matt, this is what we are going to do in the draft coming up. We love you. You are our starting quarterback. We are going to bring a backup. We don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it'll be Chase Daniel. Maybe it'll be Andy Dalton. Maybe it'll be Jameis Winston. Maybe it'll be somebody else. But we are going to just bring a a nice backup in here for you. But you're our number one guy. And to that end, Matthew, though, what we are going to do is not sign a backup quarterback before the draft because what we are going to do – is try to create an illusion that we are going to draft the quarterback of the future. There will be some out there that are going to be taken in the top 10. You know that, Matt. You watch the NFL. You're a big college football guy. You know what everybody's saying about Justin Herbert at Oregon. You know what people are saying about Tua Tungavailoa. And if we don't take a backup quarterback and we start talking about we're, you know, putting it out there in in the media and saying that we're looking to draft a quarterback there. We're all doing this just to get the pick. Now, were the Lions burned the season before because they were in on some backup quarterbacks and they knew Stafford had the, you know, the beat-up back, and so that was of utmost importance to him. yeah. But are you and am I believing that Chase Daniel, if Matt Stafford would go down in game three for more than three or four games, that Daniel's going to be, you know, one of the, you know, top tier backups. I'm not buying that, you know, a game or two. All right. But not really. I'm not buying that, Uh, you know, clipboard Jesus playing a handful of games in his NFL career. I don't think anybody's buying that part. So it was a mistake, you know, from, from that situation if they would have just been able to just do those two things. I mean, the, the Ford thing, the ship had passed, but easily they could have said, look, Matt, this is what we're going to – we're not going to get a backup and what we're going to do. And you know what? Even if they did get a backup, they could have gone out there and said, look, Matt, we're going to put it out there that, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think Bob Quinn needed to sit in one of those news conferences and say, yeah, you know – but instead, it was what they did is the complete opposite. When Bob Quinn was asked about Matt Stafford, he couldn't have talked in any more glowing terms about him and how he's the number one QB and they don't have any interest. I, like, come on, they they didn't do a very good job at that. And Dave Gettleman for the Giants didn't either. It was like a week before the draft. He's like, "Yeah, we're open with Herbert." Everybody's like, "No, we don't believe you." Like nobody believed him. You just got to make it uh, believable. Here's the second part to that stony and, question. And secondly.
2: Um, as far as coach Patricia goes, listen, I understand last, the last two years have been tough. Um, you know, we haven't won as many games as we wanted to. Uh, it's been tough for me personally. Um, you know uh, been beat up a little bit and, and uh, didn't get to play as many football games as I wanted to. And, and um, I know those guys slaying snacks that left. Um, I got
0: all right. There he is. Matt Stafford talking a little bit. I would have played more from that, but. It just uh, went down. All right, he did talk about DeAndre Swift. That was a good question, and you would consider – that would have been a a question I would have considered asking Matt Stafford since he's a a Georgia guy and DeAndre Swift is a Georgia Bulldog. I would have asked that question and what he thought of him. He liked him, and, you know, I watched uh, DeAndre Swift play – you know, I watched him play at Georgia in some of those bigger games, but then I went and I looked through his game log – just to see like what was his you know biggest rushing toll or best game looked on there and I, I went and watched him play a game when the Georgia played Kentucky just to just put it on, let it roll and just try to get a feel for the guy. This was after the Lions had drafted him. And and it didn't take long for me to start looking in you know, here he is he's he's just running the daylight Nice football term, you know, run into daylight, but what's that mean? Just giving the ball, not a lot of, not a lot of flashy moves. Just see the hole, you know, sets it up and just goes. Uh, I could see that from him, but in the first half, I, I wrote down Shady and LaShawn McCoy. And if there's a, a comp for me, for DeAndre Swift, that's who I looked at. Now I know I, I saw some Nick Chubb, you know, when he, when you come from a school and you go to a school that produces Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, and you're producing backs like this, then yeah, you're going to be compared to those guys. And I get when the the Chubb comparison and that when you you see Swift standing in the backfield and how his helmet kind of looks, uh, kind of uh, it's kind of lurks forward a little bit. He kind of does look like Nick Chubb a little bit there, but that to me is where the comparison ends. And yeah, they're both Georgia Bulldog running back. So I get that part. So I get the Chubb comparison there, but I went with LaShawn McCoy, but a little bit of Ray Rice, a little bit of Delvin Cook. I could also see that in DeAndre Swift. Some of the other stuff that Stafford said, he was you know asked about the pandemic and before... Everything was shut down. He was working a little bit with some of uh, his wide outs. But, you know, since, I don't want, what is it? Was it 311? Just a little bit after that, March 11th, that, well, that's when they stopped playing games. And then after that, pretty much uh, shutting everything down. So, you know, that's it. But the one thing this week that we're finding out is that this Memorial weekend, We're going to see some things in pockets here in Michigan. We're just going to see how it it plays out and trying to make a prediction, whether it's going to be good or bad or whether more is going to follow. You know, I'll leave that for, for other sports talk show hosts and, and people that are on TV. I do think what, you know, at some point, eventually this was going to happen and people are chomping at the bit. So You know, I can sit here like, you know, it almost feels like a cliche to like say things like, well, yeah, you know, people need to be really observant uh, of rules. And I, 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 yeah, we can, we can say that. People can hammer it home. Uh, We'll see how they'll do. My guess is that just from my own personal experience here, is that uh, 75, 80% of people out there are not um, abiding by, or attempting to, you know, stay by the rules. Well, we'll see, uh, and we'll see if that has any repercussions. I'd like i like, I hope it doesn't. And so uh, hopefully then, you know, by the following week, they can open up some more counties, and then we can, by, uh, where are we sitting at here? I'm taping this uh, on a Tuesday, so it's the 19th, and then we're talking about Memorial Weekend. Memorial Day is the 25th, and so... And then a week after that, we've got June 1st, so we're just shy of two weeks. Yeah, by June 1st, coming back where you can go out and even get into a restaurant or something like that. Well, <laughs> something like that. In a in a different way. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're looking at. All right, I want to thank uh, Vincent Goodwill. We'll get talk some uh, some baseball coming up. In this week's uh, pod as well. If you've noticed, I've been trying to stretch these things a little bit more. Um, I'm working on an hour now. And uh, I also have a Saturday all-star show. If you are listening right now and you've ever been a a caller, you're somebody that uh, wants to get into talk radio, you're somebody that has opinions, well, you should uh, get at me at Twitter at Dennis Fithian and, uh, at good afternoon, 21. And I follow everybody at good afternoon, 21, and you can direct message me there. And when you DM me, you can get in on the all-star Saturday show where I schedule anybody. And we, we just have a, you know, a Sunday afternoon, sit in a Sunday afternoon, all-star show. And, I did it this past week and I liked it and I'm doing it again this Saturday, the 23rd. So check that out. If you're an aspiring sports talk show host, I want to hear from you or you know what? You're just a sports fan that likes to come on and talk. Uh, get at me there again. Good afternoon. 21. That is on Twitter. Thanks to Vincent Goodwill. We will get to some baseball. I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. i um, uh I'm having fun doing it. Hope you're having fun listening. That'll do it. So long. Have a uh, a great rest of your day. Dennis Fithian here, Detroit Sports Podcast, number 16.